Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It is an honor and a privilege, and I've been pretty excited about today as well, to finally have an opportunity to meet and speak with Jonathan Tobin. Mr. Tobin is the editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, and a lot of the news that we receive in the United States today actually comes through that syndicate. Uh, but before that, he was the senior online editor of Commentary Magazine, the executive editor of Commentary, the executive editor of the Jewish Exponent in Philadelphia, and he continues to write for many of the English language Israeli papers, Haaretz, Jerusalem Post, Newsweek, The Federalist, The New York Post. So I'm sure everybody listening today has heard of him and has read his works. And just to give one quote of one of the things I found when we were getting ready for today, uh, Richard Chesnoff once wrote about Mr. Tobin that he is one of the most thoughtful figures in the American Jewish letters. And so thank you so much for joining me today and for joining the shul. Well, thank you very much, Rabbi. It's a pleasure to be with you. And um, I don't know where you dug up that Dick Chesnoff quote, but he was a very, uh, very fine man wonderful writer whom I read when I was in high school and then later encountered uh, as a professional and um, he was very kind to write that. No, it's, well, I don't, I'm not a professional uh, journalist and yet I agree with him fully. So let me just jump in and ask you some of the things that are going on in the news today, obviously, were the elections of yesterday. Uh, mm -hmm. And as we always do, as we say, well, what does it mean for the Jewish community? You bring that unique perspective that we see elections where, let's say, more centrist Republicans are rising in power, the Democrats are being challenged. Is this good for the Jews? Is it good for, Amer good for America in your perspective? Is it good in general? Um, you know, I always hesitate to play that good for the Jews game. Um, obviously, I think, you know, the Jewish community has interests. Um, it should pursue them. Some are strictly Jewish interests, such as support for Israel, although many Jews uh, in this country no longer um, seem to care that much about Israel or challenge that or challenge the, even the idea that that should be a priority. I will say one thing about, but I will say one thing that I think is good for the Jews. And although um, I think many uh, liberal Jews who are certainly still the majority of the American Jewish community would disagree with me. And that is the fact that the election, certainly in Virginia and to some lesser extent in New Jersey, turned on the issue of um, resistance against critical race theory, indoctrination and its infiltration into school curricula. I think that is very good for the Jews um, because uh, this is a toxic um, idea, a set of ideas connected with intersectionality and which divides us um, strictly on the basis of race, um, trashes meritocracy, undermines um, the ability of people to reach out and to have relationships as communities, as individuals, as individuals, rather than strictly as as people uh, who are of a certain color or a certain background. And it's particularly dangerous for Jews because the whole point about intersectionality and critical race theory is this notion that all struggles everywhere can be lumped into one big struggle. And that is defined as, uh, you know, sort of the, the oppressors versus the underdogs, people with privilege, people without privilege. And in the 
you know, catechism of, of critical race theory. Uh, Jews are classified as not merely white, which isn't obviously always accurate, but as possessors of white privilege, the state of Israel is put down as a possessor of, of white privilege, um, which makes no sense because of course the majority of the Jews of Israel are by the definitional terms of, of uh, woke ideology, people of color themselves because they trace their origins to the Middle East and North Africa. And um, it treats the Palestinian war against Israel's existence as morally equivalent to the struggle for civil rights in this country, which is an abomination and, and completely false. And uh, although many Jews, including many of our leading national organizations are supportive of these ideas or, or at least posture themselves as so because they don't wish to be seen as uh, resisting anything that, uh, you know, um, seems as if it's uh, inclined towards, uh, you know, racial equality. They, you know, they believe in racial equality, but what the other, you know, people who want this are pushing for is equity, which is something very different. But this is very much against the interest of the Jews. Um, it hurts the Jewish people. And as we have already seen, it acts as a permission slip for anti-Semitism. Um, we saw that in the reaction to the uh, war, uh, in May between uh, Israel and Hamas terrorists, um, when, uh, when leftist members of Congress um, floated the uh, apartheid Israel lie on the floor of the House of Representatives using these same ideas that are part of critical race theory and intersectionalism, um, that leads to violence, that leads to delegitimization de of Jews everywhere. And it, it must be opposed. So, if one piece of fallout from this election, and there's a lot to un unpack in this election, a, a lot about the failures of the Biden administration, the fact that you know most Americans have moved on from the idea that our, our politics are solely divided by what you think about Donald Trump. But to the extent that um, people are waking up to this real challenge and supporting the parents who are showing up at school boards to fight against this, I think that's very much in the interest of the Jews. You, you mentioned uh, former President Trump and this past week on a podcast, he made a couple of comments that were um, a little bit concerning. One was where he said that Israel literally owned, that's a quote, Congress until about a decade ago. Um, and now it's almost the opposite. He said, I think I know what he wanted to say but the way he said it sounds very, very frightening because it could play right into the hand of anti-Semites. And then he also was wondering, uh, it's incredible, he said, that I didn't get the kind of vote from Jewish people that you would think I would get Jewish people in this country, which again seems uh, that it would be an opening for the possibility from the far right to be anti-Semitic, to feel that the Jews have turned on them. Should we be concerned about that kind of rhetoric also? Well, I think whenever we take a deep dive into whatever it was that Donald Trump said yesterday, <laughs> um, we kind of play. We're on the one hand, we're playing his game because this is what you know. He, this is what he always wants, no matter how foolish or inaccurate um, some of his statements were. That's how you know. That's how he um, maintained his hold on the public imagination. Of the, you know in that he was always saying stuff and then people would react to stuff and 
show how it wasn't entirely true and how it might be dangerous. And then by the time they got through, you know, um, explicating it, he was on to the next, you know, statement. Um, so obviously when you say, you know, Israel owned Congress, that's inaccurate. It sounds like an anti-Semitic stereotype. Um, you know, he, he, it's an inappropriate comment for sure. Um, but it's also very clear that he meant it, you know, he, he sort of in context is clearly what he was, what he was saying was that Israel used, you know, Israel, you know, the supporters of Israel had a hold, not so much on Congress, but on the Democratic Party, you know, which currently control, controls Congress, and that that has changed. He's right about that. Um, he's right that the, the left in, in this country, um, the left wing of the Democratic Party is, uh, you know, clearly opposed to Israel or ambivalent about it. Uh, the two parties have, in fact, you know, swapped identities over the course of the last 60 years. Um, we would have said a couple of generations ago that the Republicans were divided on Israel between sort of the uh, country club Republicans who were either not very keen on Jews and indifferent to Israel and a smaller group that were pro-Israel. Um, and the Democrats were seen as the lockstep uh, pro-Israel party. Um, now it's, it's very much the opposite. The Republicans are the, the lockstep pro-Israel party far more than the Democrats even used to be. And Democrats are deeply divided about Israel. And um, that's, you know, that, that plays a part in this. Now, he also raises, you know, as, as he has done before, he, like many non-Jewish politicians, he has trouble wrapping his brain around the idea that Jews don't vote on Israel. Now, some Jews do. Um, conservative, politically conservative Jews tend to treat it as a litmus test issue. Um, generally, voters in the Orthodox community treat it as a litmus test issue. The majority of American Jews, the vast majority of Jews, of American Jews who don't fit into either of those categories do not, which isn't to say that they don't care about it at all, but it's way down on a list of uh, a number of social justice issues or uh, domestic issues or, you know, things that have nothing to do, you know, with the Jews um, because that's how they vote. That's where their concerns are. And he isn't the first politician to be surprised that by taking a pro-Israel stand didn't guarantee him Jewish votes. In fact, the fact is, I mean, Jewish Democrats couldn't care less how pro-Israel he was. And in fact, uh, you know, he was his, a historic president as far as Israel. He was the most pro-Israel president we've ever had. Now, I have to say, uh, a lot of us were surprised about that. There didn't seem to be much just as he turned out to be, you know, a very successful conservative president from the point of view of political conservatives. Was, there was no reason to believe in 2016 that he was going to be really more conservative and more successful at it than Ronald Reagan was, let alone do things like moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, holding the Palestinians accountable, recognizing Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. And just as if not more importantly, working to facilitate um, normalization of relations between Israel and Arab countries in the Abraham Accords. Um, he is entitled to credit for those things and he does not get it from most, uh, most American Jews and he can't get over it. Um, so he natters on in this way. Um, you know, I, I, every time we talk about what, whatever Trump does, um, 
my colleague Selena Zito uh, at the Washington Examiner famously said in 2015 that uh, Trump's supporters take him seriously, but not literally, and Trump's critics take him literally, but not seriously. And that, that rule still holds. And, and, and let me just add one more yeah. thing about the idea that things that Trump's saying is going to empower right-wing anti-Semites to help, to hate Jews. I reject that for two reasons. Number one, anti-Semites don't need reasons to hate Jews. They hate Jews for their own reasons. It has nothing to do with what the Jews do or what anybody else says. It's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a psychosis of, of, uh, of a certain kind of person and uh, a way of organizing politics and uh, ideas for them. Um, it never really has anything to do with anything real that, that is motivating it. Secondly, um, extreme right-wingers, uh, the people that, like the, like the madman who attacked the Congregation Tree of Life in Pittsburgh or the Chabad in Poway, California, they, they hated Trump because they saw him rightly as a friend of the Jews, as, you know, as, a, as a man with Jewish grandchildren. So you know, this idea that you can connect dots between all the various crack, you know, foolish or inaccurate things that Trump says or inappropriate things that Trump says and anti-Semitism is really a partisan talking point for his political opponents and for his liberal Jewish opponents, people like, you know, uh, the head of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, who was a Democratic operative, uh, disguising himself as a, as a fighter for, uh, you know, defense of the Jews. It never made any sense. It's not, a, you know, it's not a serious discussion. So um, as much as certainly that was an inappropriate thing, he said, he says he's done nothing but say inappropriate things since he came down the escalator into our lives in June of 2015, but that doesn't really have much to do with anything real. And on the topic of anti-Semitism, which you've referred to on a number of occasions already, there's a theory that anti-Semitism in America was always there, but hidden because we were still close enough to World War II and to the Shoah. And now as that memory fades, as those survivors leave this world, it's just reappearing. It's coming up from the surface, coming up to the surface, but it had always been there. There's another school of thought that says, no, it's something new and it's, uh, it's reinventing and recreating and bringing new people to the fore. Where are you at on those two, two poles? Of well, it's clearly, I mean, I think it's very obvious that it's both. Obviously, sort of traditional right-wing extremist anti-Semitism rooted in, in ideas of race and religion, that was always there. Um, it's still there on the margins of our society, people dwelling in the fever swamps of, uh, of our life, uh, of our national life and public discourse, who are louder and more empowered because the internet has given them a voice that they didn't used to have before Al Gore invented it and, you know, democratized <laughs> communication in this country. Um, you know, that's, it, it, they were isolated. They were kept out of um, mainstream publications by the gatekeepers, editors. And um, now they can say whatever they want and communicate and sort of have virtual communities and, and, and that makes them stronger. So that was always there. But the thing about it is that it was, 
while you could make an argument that sort of early in the, you know, in the first half of the 20th century, it was borderline mainstream. I mean, there were, these were mass movements of, of right-wing anti-Semitism. Um, it's, that's long gone. The, the, you know, the anti-Semitism has a place on the far right, but it's a marginal place. Um, travel around this country, meet people, talk to Christians, talk to evangelicals, and you find there's an enormous wellspring among uh, people who are religious conservatives and political conservatives of sympathy for Jews and strong love for Israel. Um, uh, the United States has a, a long tradition of philo-Semitism and um, support for Zionism. Uh, the, you know, the first president who endorsed, Zion, endorsed the idea of a Jewish state wasn't Harry Truman or Woodrow Wilson, it was John Adams. Um, American Jews often forget that they have a lot of friends. We are not alone in this country. Um, there is an enormous uh, source of support for Jews. Um, uh, many of us on the East Coast or in metropolitan areas like East Coast, West Coast, or metropolitan areas like Chicago tend to think that all of the people who live in flyover area, um, you know, that they, you know, the, all these non-Jews, you know, they'd kill us all if they were only smart enough to figure out how to do it. That's really not true. And it's really deeply unfair. And it's actually an expression of prejudice uh, against people of uh, different faiths. But it still exists. It's still there. And certainly, you know, when, you know, it ma manifests itself in the form of, you know, a, a lunatic with a weapon, it can be deeply dangerous. It has to be dealt with. It has to be condemned. Um, on the other hand, there is something new, quote unquote, um, in that the rise of, as I referred to it before, on the left, um, not entirely new because that, that strain within Marxism of hostility to Jews and Jewish tradition has always been there since Karl Marx had his own you know, conflicts about his own background. Um, and in the form of intersectionalism and critical race theory, that has empowered anti-Semitism in this country. And it's a bit more mainstream because, you know, there aren't right-wing lunatics preaching hate for Jews in Congress. There are left-wingers preaching hate for Israel and Jews in Congress. Um, there's, a, there's a not small group of them now, and they're, they're growing. And that needs to be addressed. And the problem is, is that the Jewish community kind of like the rest of America is so bifurcated by politics. You know, it's, it's very important to understand that religion, you know, politics now plays the role in most people's lives that used to be played by religion. Um, politics is everything. Partisanship is everything. It divides us. You know, we read, listen, watch different media based on our politics. We isolate ourselves into silos on, on social media um, where we can delete anything that we that contradicts our pre-existing assumptions and biases and unfriend anybody who posts it. Um, so it's very hard for people to not only listen to other fellow citizens with whom they disagree, which is really toxic to our political culture and discourse, but it's hard for them to you know it's hard for them to recognize anti-Jewish hate if you're Jewish if it comes from someone you perceive as an ally. And very easy to recognize it if it comes from someone that you disagree with uh, on other issues. And you know, we live in a time where you know anybody I don't like is Hitler. So Democrats didn't like Trump, so he had to be Hitler. Um, they were desperate to draw 
you know, lines between dots somehow connecting him to anti-Semitism, even though you know, the case for that, I think, fell, fell really flat and was false. And we're very slow, if, if at all able, to recognize the anti-Semitism within their own camp. The fact is, Republic, Jewish Republicans can play the same game sometimes too. They, they, they find it very easy. They can only see it on the left. They don't recognize it when it pops up on the right or they want to deny it. That's a, a, a serious problem for our community, you know, which is supposedly intelligent, but can't seem to chew gum and, and walk at the same time when it comes to this issue. So how should we be addressing that? In other words, I know there are people who see beyond the politics, but you're correct that politics has become so very divisive. I uh, used to, in, in shul, I used to tell people that there are two words I wasn't allowed to say from the pulpit. One was Trump and the other was Obama. Because no, no matter what I would say, people would pounce on me. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you propose the Jewish community should be doing? I, I think it's, you know, it's not that hard. It's, it's actually fairly simple. I mean, it's a few clear principles. Understand that anti-Semitism is about the anti-Semites. Understand that there has to be zero tolerance for anti-Semitism. Also understand that trying to define anti-Semitism in a way that will give your political allies a break, such as the, the debate about the uh, definition of anti-Semitism, which is widely accepted by governments, including that of the United States and the Biden administration even, that clearly states what is anti-Semitism and includes the demonization of Israel, the comparison of it to, to the Nazis. Um, you know, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism because if you do, are willing to deny to the Jews that which we would not deny to anyone else, um, you're practicing prejudice, discrimination, and you know that the BDS movement. These are anti-Semitic um, things, and um, those who don't want to, those who want to just define anti-Semite is anybody who opposes me, you know, on, on politics, but not take a look at the, you know what some people are doing and using Israel as a as a way to promote their their. Their attacks on Israel as a way to promote uh, anti-Semitism, um, they're undermining uh, the common cause. Um, we also have to be wary of these false Holocaust comparisons. You know, I, I, they, they proliferate on the right and the left. You know, people jump on, you know, Republicans when they do that, when they compare vaccine mandates to the Holocaust, they're right to condemn that, that's inappropriate. But frankly, Democrats spent all of 2020 or really all four years of the Trump administration trying to call him a Nazi. Even people who really should know should have known better, who, who have dedicated their lives to fighting anti-Semitism. We have to understand this. We can fight both sides. We can address both sides. We have to take the politics out of it. The problem is nobody wants to take politics out of anything right now in this country. Everything is about politics. So is it educational? In other words, do pe are there intelligent people out there? And actually, this obviously is a bad question. I apologize, but it just, can anyone not see within the Jewish community when anti-Semitism is taking place that it should not be part of a political agenda, but rather we have to separate it and we have to condemn it? I, when statements are made, I normally see those condemnations when the yellow stars were being handed out by the anti-vaxxers I didn't hear Democrats or Republicans defending them. Um, I think people did call them out. And the Israel question, it is, 
it is true that the faction within uh, within the, the Democratic Party, which takes positions which are so far to the left that it's complicated and they continue to do it. I haven't heard them being called out. They were not called out by the leadership the way they should have been. But within our community, within the Jewish community, have we really fallen into the very same trap that we are afraid to call out anti-Semitism? Yeah, I, I, listen, we're living on the same planet as everybody else. We're living in the same country as everyone else. We're swimming in the same, same sea, living in this hyper-partisan atmosphere in which, um, frankly, there's just a tremendous reluctance to identify you know, forms of anti-Semitism which work against their political narrative. We saw it um, tragically, I mean, even more tragically, um, at the end of 2019, when there was a spate of anti-Semitic attacks, violent attacks, largely against you know, Orthodox Jews, ultra-Orthodox Jews, you know, the Jews that walk around wearing a sign around their neck, I'm a Jew. Um, uh, by African-Americans um, in the greater New York area happened elsewhere too. And quite frankly, our mainstream organizations, which are so oriented towards um, coalition building with other, with minority communities and towards liberal politics, you know, they, they've endorsed critical race. They were very slow to condemn these or to recognize it as a threat. You know, Jews were being attacked and kind of didn't fit in. You couldn't blame it on Donald Trump. So so it wasn't a priority. And um, I mean, what could be worse than that? You know, yes. And of course, no, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, the, the squad, um, they've gotten a pass um, from most in their party. There have been a few honorable exceptions. Uh, Ted Deutsch of Florida, a liberal Democratic congressman called out to live on the floor of the House of Representatives this year. Um, but very few, you know, but nobody followed him. And his party has kind of, you know, they're too powerful. They're too popular. Um, these, these people on the far left, they're the darlings of the late night uh, comedy shows, which are the arbiters of you know, popular culture in this country, a daily in-kind contribution to the Democrats. But you know, they're, they're fetid there. Um, as long as that's tolerated, we're going to have this problem where a large portion of the Jewish community just isn't that interested in fighting a kind of anti-Semitism that I think is particularly dangerous. Is there a precedent, was there another time in American history of such hyper-partisanship and that it waned, we have something to look forward to, we have some hope in this country? Well, I'll, I'll answer that. Um, you know, I, I'm always a short-term pessimist, long-term optimist. I have a lot of, you know, we're dealing with tremendous challenges here in the United States. Israel faces tremendous challenges, existential security challenges, you know, social challenges. But I have great faith in the strength and the ability of Israel to not merely survive, but to prosper and thrive. I have great faith in this country too. I believe in American exceptionalism. The United States is not like other countries. It's never been like other countries, certainly with regard to anti-Semitism, that's obviously true. It has never been as entrenched or as important or government supported the way it was in virtually every other country on the planet. Um, we, you know, Americans are certainly deeply divided. I mean, you know, you know, were there worse times in American history? Well, I guess you could say when there was a civil war, that was, you know, 600,000 Americans slaughtered on the battlefields of Virginia and Tennessee. And, 
you know, various parts of the South. I think that was probably worse. Um, I know uh, some of our Democratic friends uh, like to act uh, as if uh, the, a rather disgraceful riot at the Capitol on January 6th, which was terrible and disgraceful, that that was the moral equivalent of Fort, the firing on Fort Sumter and, you know, elevating it into an, an insurrection from just, you know, a disorganized, you know, bunch of rioters. Um, you know, so if, if we're, you know, I, so no, I, I don't think this is the worst moment in American history. It's certainly, it's a very dangerous moment. It's the most dangerous moment in terms of division and hyperpartisanship within living memory. Um, and, and yet, you know, the basic moderation of the American people has always tended to prevail. When either party goes too far, you know, to the off of the spectrum, to the right or the left, there's always a correction. You know, the thing about, politics in this country is that every time anybody wins an election, they think it's the start of a thousand year right. That was true of Republicans in 2004, Democrats in 2008, and it was again with Democrats in, 2000, uh, in 2020. We saw last night that that's not necessarily true. We should have faith in the ability and the common sense of the American people um, I think the pushback, as I say, against critical race theory shows a lot of common sense and that democracy is alive and well in this country. So we should have faith in it. Um, but, you know, politics is not a spectator sport. If you care about these issues, you have to speak out. You have to speak out as a Jew to hold our officials accountable, uh, uh, no matter what their party is. And um, if we do, I have a lot of faith, you know, and with God's help, um, things are going to turn out all right. And with that, and on that note, our time is up. I want to thank you so very much for your answers, for your information, for your writing, for all of the viewpoints you pre presented to us, and especially even for your time today. So thank you so very much. I look forward to reading your next op-ed piece and all of the articles that you continue to produce for us. Have a wonderful day. Thanks very much, Rabbi. It's a pleasure to be with you. Bye-bye.